Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights Plus. Once again, I'm joined by Gary. How are we doing today, Gary? Doing fantastic, thank you. Good, good. No, so today what I thought we could discuss is the the role of a QS, a qualified supervisor. Just to clarify, this isn't a rant about any CPSs or anything. All we're doing is talking about our experiences as a QS and what sort of roles and responsibilities we like them to uphold, shall we say. Yep, bro. So, um, obviously, I currently act as a QS. Have you had much experience in the past in that sort of role? So I've done that role across two companies. Uh, one time I did a short spell with Napit, and the other main experience I've had is with the NIC, EIC. I haven't had that. I've only ever been with the NIC, EIC. So was there any difference between the two that you sort of found? Yes. I mean, my experiences were quite a long time ago, but the initial assessment to get on the books uh, at the time, NIC, I felt were a bit more relaxed about it than um, Nappit, who really did conduct a thorough um, inspection of me and in terms of questioning me, gauging my understanding, going through all the documentation, um, my training history. It, I have had that done with um, the NIC when requesting other QSs for the business at the time, but I didn't feel it was as thorough to myself, although I did still demonstrate the required knowledge and experience to fulfill the requirement of being a QS. It just I felt the, the criteria wasn't as well. But that was my personal experience. Just out of interest, which one was the first one you did? Was it with Napit or with the NIC? Napit. Right, okay. So the first ever QS role was for my own um, working privately for myself, and I'd set myself up while still working full-time. Yeah, went decided to go with Napit as at the time they were very cheap. Okay. It doesn't matter who you're with, obviously. They all do the same sort of job at the end of the day. But uh, no, it's just interesting to gauge that second opinion on... And what, bit, what, really. what about yourself when you first went up for a, the QS role? Well, I um, was sort of being mentored into taking that role at the last company and um, just sort of never really made it that far. So when I left to start the company with my dad, I jumped straight into the QS role. And, yeah, I must admit, I um, I don't like things not being assessed properly. So I made sure I had a... I had a TT install, full rewire, and a TNS, and a TNCS, and I had all sort of different scopes of work because I wanted to be suitably assessed. So I made sure there was a, a thorough scope of works there. Mm. And um, now he come out. He's a really nice guy, to be honest. He used to work with um, the Kia Group. He was the right. QS for, for them. And he said, you know, he, he's got loads of experience at all different bits and bobs. So, no, it's nice talking to him. I've actually had him every single year since. But he's a really knowledgeable guy. And um, I'd probably say he's one of those assessors that really did give the NIC strength. He's worth his weight in gold. And, and I talked to him on and off throughout the year as well. And, um, yeah, really, really clever guy. Have you found, because it's interesting, you say you have Could the same you raise guy. your hand next time, please? Uh, okay, there we go. That works on a podcast. Um, so <laughs> after you've had the same guy for so many years, because... I, I had similar, not maybe for as many years as yourself, but we, I was with the same assessor for two, three years um, with the NIC before I moved on. And obviously building up a relationship is a good thing. It builds up trust. Do you find he's as rigorous as the first time he met you and didn't know you? 
Yeah, I do, actually. Obviously, he knows me and he knows I know what I know, but he always asks questions. So um, the last one, which I didn't actually have an answer for, obviously now I do, but um, one of the properties I was at, and just to quickly put in, I don't like to revisit the properties before because I want him to find it if I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I leave the job, once I've done it, I'll, well, that is it. I'm not going back before my assessment because if I've done something wrong, then I'm naughty, aren't I? I should be told off for that. Yeah. But uh, no, so what basically happened is on the, the head, there was a bridging earth between the neutral and the earth terminal. And there was also a strap going from the lead sheath got onto the earth terminal. And he said to me, well, well, what about that? What earthing system is it? So I just said, well, I'm assuming that there's PME available in the road. So they've linked it across. And obviously, then they need to earth the lead sheath as well. So I was sort of writing what I was saying. But then he went on to say, well, actually, if you, you know, the CNE cabling. So basically, TNSs are going to be PMEs. Mm. And that just clicked. That realisation hadn't been done before. But until right. you said it, you think, oh, right. So, mm. you know, he, he even goes into that sort of stuff. Just yeah. pushes you to learn more. Do you think it's something people should be nervous about? Because I was very nervous on the first time I did it. You know, the, the, this person was coming in. They were going to assess me whether I was competent, whether I was any good. They were going to test my knowledge. Do you think it's something people should be nervous about? The first one, I can understand you being nervous because you don't know what's happening. It's a completely new thing. You know, I've never been assessed. Oh, what are they going to do? They're going to be horrible. And obviously, whenever you ask someone else, they say, oh, no, you've got... Oh, not him, no, Gary. Oh, no, he's a terrible assessor. Cool. Can't believe you've got him. But um, when you actually go there, they're always really nice people and you understand the process. But then the second, third and fourth and so on years, you know regime. So the only thing to be nervous about is whether you've done your job properly, which you'd hope you have. So um, obviously there we are acting as a QS. I guess a good talking point would be to talk through the logical processes. So um how do you think a QS should get involved with the design process? Theoretically, it should be minimal. The design, well, I'm talking from a commercial industrial perspective here that if, you know, the design is completed by a another person in an office environment and then the package is handed to a supervisor to go and complete the, the installation. Theoretically, I would suggest none. There's always going to be something that crops up, but I would suggest that every QS reviewed on receipt of receiving that before they actually go out to site and then review the site installation review maybe certain methods of containment or cable selection whatever it is sizing distance of runs those sorts of things that initial verification of the design once they hit site should flag up any issues and i think that's their process they fit nicely into that before the guys start actually doing the physical installation and the realization of some of those issues come to fruition yeah no i couldn't agree more obviously if you're externally or you know even lower down getting someone to design the system it should be the qs's responsibility to ensure compliance with that design however as we've all experienced sometimes the designs aren't as good as they need to be or they don't fit into the as-built environment it would be, like you said, good QS to go on site to verify the designs before he sends out his team to start actually installing it. 
and also flag up any issues that may have been missed. So if there's a specific earthing arrangement that's needed or a specific type of protection, has that been installed or designed to suit the install that is there? And the, obviously the big one is builders don't always build to what they should. Walls move and steels have to get changed. So sometimes a route isn't a route anymore. But mm. yeah, I think that's a um, pretty easy one. But then moving on to the installation, how do you think a QS should be involved there? I suppose it's like any good supervisor and it'll be looking after the team. It'll be managing, um, you know, their requirements, their installations, um, as well as looking after them personally and, and their development whilst doing it as well. Um, I think, you know, the, you've got to have the company's interest at heart as well. I think that's a key part. You know, you're not just representing yourself, you're representing the company. Um, I think the point I'm sort of trying to make here is, um, so I know there's a lot of larger companies, which obviously you'll have more experience with than I. There's this thing about the QS never goes out to site. They never see people on site and they just sort of get a bit of paperwork and they sign it off. How, how do you feel about that? So the company I used to work for tended to manage manage it that way. So the, the QSs were the project managers, mm-hmm. essentially, rather than the guys on site. It kind of worked. It worked quite well. The way the way I managed it for myself was that if I I would complete site installation visits, so that would be at the beginning to set the scene for even the the site supervisor. I would then do walkthroughs with the entire team. It would be regular site visits if it was over a substantial period of time. You know, if it was over a week, I'd go probably three times in that week. I'd go one in the beginning one in the middle one at the end i'd then potentially document photographic evidence of the progress and the installation work if things were going awry or something wasn't right advise the guys of how to put it right or always be on the end of a phone to you know to get that advice Um, and then at the end it would be a review of the documentation having myself completed the design and the site inspections I fully understood what was actually going on on the on the job or a site and then I would review the paperwork in line with how I would complete that paperwork knowing okay there would be some exception of the test results but you know you can pretty easily pick apart a test result if, if someone has or hasn't done it yeah no I agree that's good. I mean, from my sort of side of things, I know I'm, I'm a much smaller company. I do random spot checks. So, like, for example, the other day, I had a subcontractor come in and help me out, and he was doing a consumer unit change. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I've just got to check just a couple of things because he hasn't worked with me before. So I just did a couple of talks on the terminals, and they were fine, but it was just a, a random spot check. If they weren't right, then we'd have had a problem. Did a couple of tugs. But I do it with my guys. I go around, and if they're doing a double socket, bearing in mind some of them have worked for me for five years, I'll just say, can I just have a look? Make sure there's no copper showing, make sure it's all still as it is. But I like to think that sort of contributes to a continuity of standard, because if they know at any point I could say, let me just have a quick look, then they know they all need to be pretty good. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good tip. Um, you know, sampling and maintaining st- standards is a is a good thing to to impress onto the the guys who are working beneath you yeah i mean then i suppose the next natural progression with that would even be for the uh, inspect and test side of things because i'm on site while we do that and um obviously i've got my apprentices and my other guys 
But even when we're doing the testing, we're writing it down and that. I'll say, well, hang on a minute. How, how come our R1, R2 is less than our R1, RN? Mm. And I know it's probably because there's a parallel on the boiler circuit and we're getting a feedback down to the earth and that. But it's just nice to know if they know that. So then when I'm sending them out in the field later on, I know of their own competence. That's just an example. Obviously, there's plenty of other reasons. But mm. how about your sort of view on that? Yeah, um, I, I never tended to capture it at that stage. I would tend to do it uh, during the review of the certification. Most 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 of the time, I'm not gonna. I wouldn't have been on site with the guys doing that level of uh, of work. So it would have been trusting into someone who I knew that would complete a quality standard of work, and then they would give me the paperwork back. And if there are any issues along the way, that would be the time that they would pick up the phone and you know, oh, I've got an issue here. It's gonna take x y and z to resolve it okay crack on yeah no no it's, it's good i say um i see plenty of paperwork now i seem to be getting a lot of people sending me sort of reports they've had done or when you do an eicr and you get that previous report sent through and you look at the documentation because obviously even in that if you're not an acting qs you're sort of acting in a similar role because you're comparing the previous data to the the current data and you look at what some guys do, and it's fantastic. And then you get other ones, and they're they're not so good. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to see what comes back on the paperwork sometimes, and it's a a good chance to review because as you know, as you were just saying, any sort of competent QS could sort you know tell their apples from their apples on that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Moving on from that, then, do you think there's sort of any extra responsibilities that a QS should be carrying out? as part of their day-to-day role above and beyond what we've already discussed and what any potential business might place on them i think it it would be difficult to ask more i think if if people are in those roles particularly if if you start scaling it down from say a company where there's two three hundred employees going down to like you know the one-man band who is fulfilling all the roles and supervising others i'm not sure how much more they could do to be perfectly honest what about yourself well yeah no i probably totally agree if you're doing the role properly your day is pretty busy the control should be limited i wouldn't like to see one qs in charge of two to three hundred contractors i like to think sort of around no no yeah no no, sorry yeah, I wasn't referring to a one to two hundred sort of basis. It was more the fact that the responsibilities of a QS, no matter whether you're working amongst a group of two hundred or in a a one man band, the responsibility is still the same. Not that you're necessarily supporting two hundred people, because again, I think I would hundred percent agree a QS should not be supervising any more than I would say two jobs at one time because there's no way they could split their time equally enough to ensure the standards were, were maintained. And that was one of the things for myself. I tended never really to have more than an absolute maximum three jobs on the go so that I could divide my time between them and manage them. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, that's all good. But then what about sort of other roles such as ensuring calibration of equipment? Who do you think that should be down to in the company? That should be down to the tester, whether that's the QS or not. I'm I'm not sure, but you should be checking your instruments calibrated. And yeah, I think every electrician should have his own test kit if he's obviously under certifying his own work or potentially certifying others, inspecting other work. So 
it'd be difficult to argue why he or they wouldn't have that in calibration. So as a QS, you should perhaps be monitoring that it has been calibrated. What about the training of the contractors? So let's say you have a day-to-day electrician, but he wants to do a bit more testing and spec. Do you think it's the QS's role to help him develop into that sort of a stronger competence? No. No? No. Uh, <laughs> only because the Q, that's not what the QS role was designed for. Yeah, no, the um, reason I ask is because obviously if he's then going to be a, checking him at that higher level, I think they should be involved to some degree to monitor the development. I would suggest that maybe under his remit within the responsibility, but not necessarily within the remit of a qualified supervisor. Is that his responsibility? No, fair enough. That's a floating hat job. Perhaps. Yes, I would suggest so, yeah. Yeah. So what about we're doing bigger stuff and we need permits? Whose responsibility is to get the sign-off and the authorization for the permits to work and to sort of sign off to say, yes, Jim, off you go. You're safe to go and do that. So I can certainly speak industrially and the processes that we've, I've worked within, and there tends to be a typical hierarchy. So you'd have your electrical duty holder who would sit above everyone. They, they sit right at the top and they assess everyone. Then from there, he can delegate to, say, senior authorised persons. Mm-hmm. And from there, they can delegate to authorized persons but all all of the people that would uh, actively partake into those registers would be assessed by the electrical duty holder for competence um, assuming that you know they've got the relevant qualifications and experience uh, within the environment not just experience generally you'd have to have specific experience and knowledge of the working systems to be able to do that sort of um, supervising work Otherwise, how, how can you suitably manage the guys who will know what they'll be doing and most likely will want to go and crack on and do it? And usually it's the job of the supervisor to hold everyone back and actually say, well, let's let's get the permits in place. Let's um, get a, a permit to enter. Syst- you know, these are the sorts of systems I work with where it's a permit to enter. As soon as the switch panel becomes live, then you have an electrical permit to work, a permit to isolate, a permit to energize. You know, it's all those sorts of systems that they have to be signed off by a senior authorised person. It cannot be signed off by an authorised person and stuff like that. And then you have combinations of people who are there just for safety as like frontline supervisors. And they're there for just the safety. So, I mean, it probably sounds like a nightmare to most domestic sparks, but I've not been in an incident where anyone's ended up injured or or killed. Well, obviously, it's very dangerous stuff even on the domestic level so the further up the tree you go the worse it's going to get so it's nice to hear that obviously you've never had those troubles with anyone you know or have heard of so that's good it just goes to show that those practices do their job yeah definitely what about yourself how do you, how do you feel about that on a domestic scale so i personally would authorize people to be competent so if it's any one of my guys, I wouldn't have the apprentice there and say, right, just go isolate that because he's not competent. So I work with the people and I'll say, shall we go and isolate this? And I'll go with them and then we will both isolate it or I will um, supervise him isolating to ensure that they've got that knowledge and I make sure they've got the lock-off kit 
so it's all the rest of it you know you make sure they've got the right equipment to do the job so obviously in um bigger companies you could have as much as 300 plus electricians that's a lot for one qs to obviously supervise so do you think there's a reasonable ratio of contractor to qs yeah as i kind of said earlier i think i think it should never be more than two jobs realistically to be able to split your time adequately into supervising the work potentially completing some of the work unless you know and the larger companies you're literally a full-time employed qs to Mm -hmm. go job to job i think it it can become a difficult task if, if you're not present at the various stages of the work and should you encounter an issue you're, you're likely to not know what the issue or how what it is or how to resolve it what about yourself yeah obviously on a smaller scale i'd say the jobs are obviously a lot smaller so more maintainable but i think um going off one of my smaller size jobs you could probably do maybe five or six you reckon at any one time if are you talking about it, other other people potentially being on the sites I'm talking about, in my experience, I could have that many jobs on the go and I could be a floating installation contractor. So turn up, drop my tool bag, do a couple of switches or something, but I'm overseeing stuff. I'm, I'm taking it all in while I'm there. And how, how many of those would you visit at the various stages and times? And You could probably do, you know, depending on the location of the work. That is, There's a lot of variables to this. We tend to try and work in one area, but we also get the jobs that are probably an hour away which that I'd be there all day. It's mm. pointless driving around. But if I had three or four jobs in a small area, I could probably float between them, do a couple of hours at each throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And then if, if there's any more, I can go to another day. I don't think you'd have to be there every single day, but at least every other day on a job that sort of size in the role I've just discussed. And obviously on the bigger stuff where you'd want to be full time, you would literally want to walk around looking at what people are doing ensuring compliance and quality and it's probably a good point building control if you're not registered with a competent person scheme building control would be fulfilling this role have you ever experienced um i suppose you've always maybe have been with the cps i've always been with the cps i've um it's a role i've always liked i would really really like to be that guy that goes around have you oh, ever heard? I've, I've never met many friends. <laughs> oh, nothing changed. Um, no, no. I, I've I've never met one. I've never seen one. I've never. De- I've only a building control I've dealt with um, has been very straightforward in terms of other other installations, and they've never ever come out and visited. Um, I've never work, experienced had, it firsthand, but I have heard about people just getting them. They tie up. Sorry, they turn up couple of tests you know similar to a low level quality eicr and they just sign it off it's basically third party certification they don't come in they don't monitor and i don't feel they fulfill the qs role that's uh that's not why we're here we're not ranting no 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 but it's <laughs> it's an important part that the qs role is not just with cps's no no it isn't yeah you're fair to say that there's um obviously you can get the third-party certification if you pay the fee that the council require, and they will supply you with a contractor who's capable of doing so. But I think, like every industry, you get your good and your bad. I haven't heard of a good, but they, they have to be out there. <laughs> I've never heard a bloody good word. I haven't. I've never heard of a, you know, I can only be truthful. 
I've never heard of someone say, apart from, oh, he was cheap, he came out and signed it all off. But how do I know that? I've never seen a certificate provided by one. All I've heard is he come out, did a few tests, and he left. But there's no way he's verified the the runs. He's no way he's complied with design criteria. And they said he was there for like an hour. So what can you do in an hour apart from have a quick chat? If I was doing that, I'd like to turn up. I'd like to have a, all the history, their accreditations, their certification, their qualification, their understanding, their experiences. I mean, that's an hour, at least two hours, maybe. And that's before I did any work. I'd like to know about the contractor and their sort of ethics and values, their attitude towards work, if they've got a bit of OCD and all the rest of it, because then you can get a feel for the job, can't you? Yeah. No, I I quite agree. It's it's some, um, yeah, like we say, we're not here to rant, but it's um a key. Well, uh, you've started me off now. <laughs> well, we better end it there then. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, there's only one more I did have, which is obviously back to this ratio question. And um, I firmly believe that there should be a QS for the QSs. Oh, got, oh, Jesus Christ. If you've got 20 QSs, <laughs> have one bloke that monitors them all. Because who, who's checking them? Who QSs the QSs? So I would argue the director has a responsibility to complete that under their director's responsibilities legally. There'll be, uh, you know, electricity at work. There'll be all of the other elements they have to comply with. So it will ultimately sit on their head as the business owner that if you're employed by that, if they aren't doing the checks and the checks, um, I mean, you can never you can always go down the li- who pleases the police and then who pleases the police, the police. Um, so don't get I, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the system of having a QS if it's assessed and in, completed in the right manner, then it works well. I think we have to bestow a trust onto engineers and electricians to get the work completed and check that it's suitably compliant. Well, well no, I completely agree with that. And um, really, I think that's probably a good way to end it. So uh, thank you very much. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Oh, you're not going to do it like that, are you? Oh, my God. <laughs>